You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Um, would you do me a favor and let's just start with a little thing. Would you put your feet on the ground in front of you? Just plant them right there on the ground in front of you. And I would love for you to just take a minute and to visualize beneath your feet runs the timeline of human history. And you are here. You are here on September 15th. Oh, geez, I got to get my dates right. September 5th, <laughs> 2021. I'm going to go with that year. Uh, you're here. September 5th, 2021. You're not getting off of this timeline till midnight. This is, this is where you're planted. On this day, in this era, with these headlines, with these things happening, with the neighbors you have, with the family you have, with the money you have, you are here for purpose, on purpose. Here you are. And this is the series we're in right now. And I believe this is one of the most important series we've done at Westside. And I believe that because I think this is one of the most significant times we're living in in human history. This matters. And I'm going to just tell you real honest right up front, I am so tired of hearing people uh, shake their fist at the season we're in and talk about how bad it is and how everything's going to hell and how America's done for and how everything's going wrong and it's so hard to live here right now. You're here for a reason. The season is only without hope if you are without hope. Because we are here as little missiles of truth and light and hope and love to our world. And if the world is going without love right now, it's on us. So we've got to figure out why are we here? We are people who are of Christ and in Bend or wherever it is you call home. We are of Christ and in Bend. Plenty of people have been in Bend without being of Christ. You maybe know a few. You maybe been that one. And plenty of people are of Christ but not at all concerned with the world around them. That is not who we're called to be. We're called to be people who are of Christ and in the world where we live. Of Christ and sent out to the world where we live on purpose. This isn't the worst time in human history. This is the best time to be alive and to be you. This is the best time to have what you have, to give to a world that needs it. And so next week, Pastor David is going to talk about what it really means to be in Bend, in our city, loving our, our world and making a difference. But today we're talking about what it means to be of Christ. What does that look like in our lives? If I say I'm of Christ, that's not saying I'm of a certain political party or of a certain denomination or of a certain mindset or of even Westside Church. It's saying I am of Christ. I am planted and rooted in who he is, and I am becoming, hopefully, ever more like him every day. Maybe little bits like him, but I'm coming, becoming more like him because I am living in his presence. Now, I think sometimes we have to separate ourselves from the idea, just a little bit, that living in his presence means I have shown up to church on Sunday, and I have worshipped my four songs, and I have listened to the message, and I have done my Bible reading for the morning and I have read my inspirational page a day calendar and now I am set to go. I have put myself in Christ. I don't think that's how it is. I think that Jesus reserved his harshest words for the people who were most scrupulous students of the word. And so it is imperative that we figure out how is it that we truly are people who live 
of Christ. Um, Dallas Willard is, wrote a book um, called The Renovation of the Heart, and it's something I've been immersed in recently, and some of my message is, is uh, built around the concepts in that book. But in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That, that's our whole goal, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. What does that look like? How do we start with that? John Piper says, we glorify God by enjoying him forever. I can't imagine anything better as a parent than to think my kids enjoy coming home to me. And I can't think of anything worse than them saying, oh, we've got to go visit mom. We've just, we're going to have to, and we need to spend at least 20 minutes or she's going to be mad at us. And then we've bought another week and we don't have to go back until Sunday. Ugh. I would hate that. And so is my life with Christ like that? I want to glorify him and enjoy him. And I want to know, I, I can't imagine how happy it makes him when we show up. And if we're happy to show up, how much better? I don't think it's about setting the timer for 20 minutes, doing your time. I think it involves letting his goodness and grace and wisdom move into the areas of our human being and make a difference there, and call some shots there. So really, we all are six different aspects. We all have six different aspects to our person. And um, these are like rooms in a company. If you have like the maintenance closet, and you have the reception area, and you have the place where the big wigs meet, and you have the C-suite, and you have all these different places, and you have a room where all the servers are, or the security cameras are. Um, that's like our lives. We are one packaged up human being, but we have six rooms with permeable walls, and everything impacts everything, but there are these six distinctions that make up our lives. They are our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, in fact, thoughts, feelings, and choices are really so, so integrated that it's impossible to, to separate them entirely from one another. They are distinct things, but they automatically impact one another. You can't have a thought without a feeling. Try it. I'll give you a minute. You can't. can't have a thought without a feeling. You can't have a feeling without a thought to attach it to. We don't always, we're not always aware of what those are, but there is always a thought attached to your feeling. Choices your body, your social context, that's all your relationships, and your soul. And so every human thinks, feels, chooses, interacts with, the, with our body and, and social context. And for good or bad, all of these things are integrated by our soul. Our soul does the job of taking all of these pieces and deciding what will we make of them. Dallas Willard said this, each aspect or dimension will be a source of weakness or strength to the whole person. Listen to that. Each of these six aspects is going to be a source of weakness or strength to you. It will be, whether you know it or not. Your thoughts are going to make you weak or make you strong. Your feelings, weak or strong. Your body, weak or strong. Your relationships, weak or strong. Your soul, your choices, weak or strong. Everything is going to play into whether or not you are weak or strong. Each aspect is it plays into the whole thing depending on the condition it is in and the condition it is in will depend upon the heart. 
a person who is prepared and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right is a person whose soul is in order under the direction of a well-kept heart, in turn, under the direction of God. You see how all these pieces are functioning together. And only God can bring all these pieces together in a way that creates a whole unit that is both of Christ and in our world effective. So, um, Dallas also says, the idea of the spiritual life in the Christian understanding is one where all of the essential parts of the human self are effectively organized around God as they are restored and sustained by him. So, whatever this is, Wherever my thoughts, whatever level of brokenness they're in, whatever level of sickness my soul is in or health, that is what I'm going to export to my world. And so I want to say, God, I want you to come into all these places. And I want you to do the work that only you can do so that I can be something that can be trusted to be sent out to your world and do something that matters. Listen to what David said. And you can hear him dealing with all the pieces of his life. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my soul rejoices and my body also rests secure. He talks about his heart. He talks about his body. He talks about his soul. All of these things. He talks about God who counsels his decisions. All of these things are what it means to be of Christ. If I'm willing to say, I will throw open the doors to these rooms and I will let you step in and look around and start to tell me how I might do something differently here. That's when we start to understand what it means to be a fully flourishing follower of Jesus Christ. We are holistic beings and our lives will flourish when all the aspects of our human nature are oriented around the presence of God. In a life like this, God is invited into our thoughts, feelings, choices, physical selves, and our relationships. And um, he's invited there and then works in the way we live out our life in the rest of the world. Inviting his presence into these areas might be intimidating, I think. It might be tempting to say, I'd like to invite you into my finances, but not my thought life. I'd like to invite you into uh, my kids' rooms. <laughs> Come in and fix those. But I really, you know, my feelings are my feelings, and I'm just going to operate out of that. But really, inviting him in is always the best decision. Because without his involvement in these six areas of our life, we will live an unexamined life. We will live, I remember I had a, a student in our interns program once that said, I just wake up and I decide however I feel that day is the way I'm going to feel. And it's either going to be a bad day or a terrible day <laughs> based on how I feel. Because she pretty much woke up feeling rotten every day, just emotionally rotten, and never would invite God into that area. So let's look at these areas and how do we involve the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can become truly people who are of Christ. First one, thoughts. Our thoughts, this mechanism that keeps us moving, you know 85% of your thoughts every day are negative? 85% and of the 85%, 90% of those are automatic. They're the thoughts you think every single day about, you don't even 
consider them anymore. They just, they're so apart. In fact, I thought of this little line the other day. Thoughts that are automatic are autocratic. If you have an automatic, an autocrat means an uncontested ruler, a ruler who has uncontested authority. So if you have an automatic thought, it has uncontested authority in your life. You don't even question whether it's right or not. You just know it. Rain is bad. Rain is bad weather. That's just going to be my negative thought, and I'm going to think it every time it rains. I'm not going to stop to think about it. It might be romantic, or it might be cool if I got a little afghan and some soup. It's just how it is. It's negative, and I'm going to live in the negativity of that thought because I don't take the time to open up my thought to the Holy Spirit and say, help me, what Paul said, take this thought captive. I have some authority over the thoughts that I think. I don't, my thoughts don't get to have autocratic rulership in my whole life because so many of the thoughts I think are not true, but I think they are. And so my best advice to you is don't believe everything you think. It's just not always true. Hold those thoughts up to the light of the word and the love of God and ask him what is true. In this moment, I did a whole message on this, I think, last year called Anchored. I'd love it if you are interested in this topic. Look it up because we go all into the how to handle runaway thoughts. Um, 2 Corinthians says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to who? To Christ, not to Bo. I make my thoughts obedient to truth. I want to I think thoughts that are true. Otherwise, I wake up thinking, I, I just don't feel worthy today. I don't feel able today. I don't feel, and, and, and I don't feel like anyone's going to like me. I don't feel like this is going to go well. And I bring that into this moment, and those thoughts don't get to be true right now. So I have to open them up to the light of the love of God. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What is the pattern of this world right now? I would propose to you that it is fear. It is anxiety. It is turmoil. It is hatred. It is fighting. It is confusion. That is the pattern of the world. And we can either just slide right along with it or we can say, I need a renewed mind because the world is going crazy. They need a church that isn't. The world is going crazy. They need a neighbor who says, wait a minute. This isn't the, this is a great time to be alive. Maybe it's for such a time of this that you've been called to this kingdom. Maybe you've been called to September 5th, 2021. Maybe there's something you have to offer that no one else does. Start to let Jesus renew our minds and transform our thinking into what is true. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will, if you are willing to go along with the pattern of the world and be afraid and confused and angry and hateful and bitter, don't assume that you know what the will of God is right now. If you are willing to say, I open up my thinking, even my automatic neural pathways that make me think every day, this person is bad or that thing is hopeless or whatever, I open that up to the Holy Spirit and I say, step in and tell me truth, then you can know what the will of God is. And then uh, feelings, yikes. <laughs> feelings are a big deal. I mean, we feel the feels. And I have so many, I, I don't know if men do this really, but I have so many women who talk to me and say, I just, I mean, I know I shouldn't feel sad, but I do. I'm sorry for crying. And I'm like, but the, 
These are your emotions. You don't have to apologize for having emotions any more than you apologize for having a body. Your emotions are valid just because you feel them. They're real and true. Having emotions doesn't make it bad. It's only bad if you let your emotions live in the driver's seat of your life. If you let them call all the shots. Listen to this, Proverbs 29, 11. Fools vent their anger, but the wise have no anger. Is that what that says? Nope. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. The wise have decided, I'm in the driver's seat. My emotions don't get to run the day. Do I feel anger? Yep, but I'm not going to hurt somebody with it. Do I feel anger? Yep, but I'm not going to cut somebody's head off with it. Yep. Do I feel anger in the roundabout because people I want to honk at? Yep. It's, I have to talk about it every summer. I have to. Um, Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. In the story of David at Ziklag, all of the city had been taken captive, and all the men were mad at him. And it says, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. I, times are tough right now, but no one has wanted to stone me yet, so I haven't been in this place. Um, because the soul of all the people was aggrieved, every man for his sons and daughters. Do you look at that? They wanted to stone him because what was happening? Their soul felt grief. When there is grief in your soul, it impacts your thoughts, your feelings, and your decisions. They're about to kill God's anointed because their soul is feeling grief. We could preach a whole, whole message on that right now, but we're not going to. Um, every man for his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David decided, I'm going to take the reins of my emotions and I'm going to say, God, I invite you in and I'm going to let you bring strength where there is weakness or encouragement where there is only despair or hope where there is only hopelessness. Opening our feelings up to the direction of the Holy Spirit is the best thing we can do. In John 14, 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to pray to the Father, and he will give you a counselor, and he will be with you forever. You know who's living in the forever of that scripture? Me? You? We have a counselor who is with us. The Holy Spirit can help us know what to do with the feelings that are running amok. Choices. Choices are our will, our spirit, our heart. The Bible calls this our heart. So with our choices, my heart is in front of him. My decisions are in front of him. How I spend my money and my time is in front of him. Where I live and where I work is in front of him. Um, all of these decisions are not mine alone to make because I've decided I'm going to be of Christ. And my decisions, therefore, will be of Christ and not just of Bo. Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord God says. Stop at the crossroads and look around in fact, somebody probably needs to hear that today. You're in the middle of making a big decision, whether to stay, whether to go, whether to move, whether whatever. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your what? Soul. We're starting to see this picture, not just naturally, but biblically, of a fully integrated life. Thoughts, feelings, bodies, soul, relationships, uh, choices. 
then our bodies or our physical self. We worship God as we use this physical being he's given us to glorify and multiply his work in our world. Almost every single decision we make with our thoughts and our feelings will be outsourced to our body. And so it's imperative that we take care of it, that we take care of our body as our act of worship, that we value it, that we view it with, with um, gratitude rather than disdain or criticism. I say, this is the container. This is the physical house for the purpose of God in my life and in my world. And I don't get a do-over. I don't get another one. This is the only chance I have. And I want to integrate having a body that will do the will of God. It can either hold me back or move me forward. Worship says, I'm going to make sure I care for my body the way God would. And then social context. So this is our relationships. Um, our humanity requires relationship with others. There are relationships from those closest to us, your partner, your spouse, your kids. Then there are relationships with the guy handing your burgers through the drive through window. All of these relationships matter. We live in context with other human beings, and it matters so much. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. In our relationships, and even like in this room, we're all in, we're all in social context with one another. It is so important to always say, God, I invite you into my relationships. In fact, I think the, the area of our relationships is an area where there will be a lot of signals. If relationships blow up, if relationships lead us astray, if relationships cause us to question God or whatever, anything that's going on there can point to something that's happening in our soul. Relationships are a big signal to what's going on. And then our soul. The soul is the deepest part of a person, and as such, it organizes the whole person. Discipleship asks the question, and this is the main question, how is your soul? How's your soul? What's going on inside there? Is it wounded? Is it sick? Anxious? Abundant? How is the world inside your soul? How is it working to order your thoughts toward the goodness of God or your heart or your decisions um, toward something that positively impacts your relationships? Your soul does the hard work of keeping everything either organized or disordered in chaos. Um, I, <clears throat> this week, had such an interesting moment. In fact, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I think, but um, I've been looking at this idea of soul sickness and how it comes out in our thoughts and our feelings. And, and there was something, a pattern that kept coming up in my life where I would fall into this sort of debilitating fear of failure or fear of being wrong. And can you imagine how fun it is to be married to someone who has a debilitating fear of being wrong? My dear husband, so good. And he finally just told me, you know what? This time you're wrong and it's okay that you're wrong, but you are. And I could not see it. I just kept being like, bless his heart. He's just not getting it. And I just was like, and, and then I, I have this this pattern of when I feel like someone is saying I'm wrong, I either lash out or I get paralyzed through fear and I don't want to say anything because I don't want to fail. fail. And so it, it's come up a couple of times in our relationship. We've been married two years, so, you know, we've got it all figured out so far. Um, but I sat down with my Bible in front of Jesus and I just said, what's happening in me? I recognize that there is a neural pathway of panic 
when I feel like I've done something wrong or I am wrong. There is something that the defenses raise in me and the walls go up and I don't, and it shuts me out of growing relationships and I need to know what's going on. And I almost immediately had this thought when I was in first grade, I had a first grade teacher who was also my father's first grade teacher. That's how old she was. And she was grumpy. She'd been at it a good long time. And there was a boy in my class that she particularly did not like. And so she would pretty regularly call him up in front and spank him in front of the class. Can you even imagine today? And um, I realized, and when, I, when that memory came so strong to me, I could see that is a wound on my six-year-old soul. That was a time where I felt helpless and afraid. I had never seen anyone be treated like that. I had never seen that kind of humiliation and I could taste it. It was just awful. And that in this moment, in, an, in a discussion with my husband who I love and trust more than anyone, six-year-old Bo is calling the shots for 56-year-old Bo. Six-year-old Bo is like, I can't, I can't be wrong right now. I can't handle that. And I saw that it was a soul wound that had created thoughts and feelings that were damaging my relationships. And so getting to the depth of what's going on inside of there is always worth it, always. And I recognize that my little story is only a fraction as painful as some of your stories that live inside rooms in your soul that you don't want to revisit. But I'm going to tell you it is always worth it because as you move into his presence and as he steps into these wounded, broken places, you can start to see how being of Christ is just the very best idea. It just is. And it changes everything. The condition of your soul impacts your thoughts and your feelings. It impacts everything. So these six things are about us. These are the six parts of our life that we want to open up to God. But to what God? Because there are a lot of versions of God. In fact, all of us have been handed a lot of little drawings of who God is. We've gotten them from almost day one, from parents and pastors and religious systems. We've pulled them out of the Bible, sometimes willy-nilly. We've got all these kinds of ideas about who God is, and so many of our ideas are either incorrect or incomplete. And so, for my money, the best place we can start in becoming of Christ is saying, God, I understand my viewpoint of you is still limited, that there are places where I've drawn pictures of you on stone that need to be chipped away. There are places of you where I am missing parts of your character that are keeping me stuck in wrong thinking. And I want to know the real you. I, my dad used to talk about my, still does, talk about my grandfather. And he says, your grandfather was a man who always wanted more of God. And he pursued God. He went to conferences and he chased down preachers and he read books and he tried to find more and more of God. And, and the other day I was thinking about it and I feel like the, the, the prayer for more of God is not quantity. The prayer for more of God is clarity. I want to see the real God as he really is, how he really is moving in our world or in our life. And because, again, my view of God is the view that I export to the world. 
my view of God's love is the love that I export to the world. So I, the other day was <clears throat> reading and I, uh, I, I have a rule in the morning that I don't get online or else I get caught in the black hole of like cat videos and stuff. So I'm like just studying for this message actually. And I have to look up a cross-reference electronically. So I open my laptop never do that. I open my laptop and what's on my screen is from the night before and there's this little Instagram account I follow and it's these two guys who dance and they're hilarious and they're just the cutest dancers ever and they just, they just do little clips of dances and I started watching it and immediately felt guilt. Oh no, I'm studying and I just left the presence of God to watch this dance and it's fun. And I felt as sure as day, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I'm fun. I'm the funnest thing you've ever known. And so I stopped and I thought, what is my view about God being fun? Because I don't know that I've ever heard a message spoken about God being fun. You know why? I know why, because I'm a mom. We don't talk about God being fun because we're afraid of what people will do with that information. If God is fun, you don't have to worry so much, yeah? If God is fun, it might lead to scary things like dancing and dance videos. But I was like, what if, because God isn't only fun. That's what you're like, but wait, God is also angry and judgmental and whatever. Sure, whatever. Um, God, what if we forget, what if we, we don't ever incorporate the view of God being fun into our portrait of who he is? That means, because we were created, Paul said, for his pleasure. We were created for his fun. And so we are meant to move toward him to experience it. But when we count that out of the nature of God, then we have to move away from him to find it. I have to move out of his presence and hide to watch my dance video. And that happens in every way. What if I... Let go of the part of God that is compassionate. What if that's not first and foremost? Then I can think whatever I want to think about broken people. So we have to have a fully formed picture of who God is. And the Bible says we'll never have it until the other side. Then we'll see, Now we see him through a glass darkly, but then we'll see him face to face. So cool. But right now, we want to say, God, I want a clearer picture of who you are. Clearer than I've ever had before. Wake me up. And I will tell you one other thing that I felt like God told me. I want you to look for a clearer picture of who I am. And the more clearly you see me, the less people are going to like you. It's because he's not like everybody else. But I think the more clearly I see him, the more I'm going to love other people. And so my one and only prayer, on repeat right now, <clears throat> is let my view of you be what's true of you. Let my view of you match what's true of you. I don't want to believe that you're not happy to see me. I have had it with this picture of a God who is angry and annoyed at our human condition. I have had it with this idea of a God who is hate-filled toward those who don't know him yet. I've had it. The real picture of the real God, I want to be the true picture of him 
so that I can see him as he really is. Because I don't think we're ever going to be able to find rest in the presence of a God we think is always waiting to backhand us with his righteousness. In the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Joy. Not because you fixed yourself. Not because you're good enough, but because he is. Because he is happy to see you. Because he made you for his good pleasure. And as we begin to open up our view of him and our thoughts and our feelings and our choices and our body and our relationships and our soul to the true picture of who he really is, I believe it will change everything about who we are becoming. And as we become like him in our world, it will change our city and I don't know that anything else will I don't think a meeting is going to do it I don't think really cool church services are going to do it I think it's individuals who have submitted their will and their heart and their lives to the full purpose of the God who loves them more than anything I think it's going to be individuals who are set on fire with the way he loves and sees the world, moving out to bring him to a world that's dying without him. I'm going to put some questions on the screen that you can read, and we'll leave them up so you can look at them later. I don't want to read them all now, but um, those are something for you to consider. If you're looking at this, how am I of Christ? How can I become more of Christ? But for this moment, I'd love to just ask you the question, how is your soul? And is your view of him what's true of him? Jesus, we want to give you our lives and our hearts, our thoughts, feelings, choices, our bodies, our relationships, and our soul. We want to give you all that you have so freely given us. It is amazing that you trusted us with the machinery of humanity. It is amazing. And so, God, we come to you today as people who know that we don't have enough wisdom. We know we don't have enough emotional security. We know we haven't figured things out. We know we don't have enough intelligence. But we come fully dependent on the eternal and supernatural God that is you the one true God, the King of kings, the one who makes all things new in his presence. And we ask God for healing inside the wounded places of our soul, for healing and and reformation in our thinking and our feeling. We ask God that you would come to each one today as they consider these things that are swirling around in their lives and consider all the pieces of the rooms of their life that uh, that make them integrate with your presence or keep them from it. God, I pray that you would speak real true words even now. On the way home, would you fill our conversations with enlightenment and insight about who you are and how you move? God, I pray for anyone for whom their six-year-old self or their 14-year-old self or their 32-year-old self is calling shots now. I pray that you would come and you would reveal and you would show how you heal. We love you so much. We worship you because you're good and only good. In your name we pray. Amen.